0: Okay, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, David. If you've got a Bible, please turn to the book of Leviticus. Yes, we are doing this. If you're a guest here, I'm sorry, but we are, we are looking at the book of Leviticus. La- two weeks ago, um, sorry, if you haven't met me, my name's Stuart, if I haven't already said that. Uh, two weeks ago, we started our new sermon series for this year. Um, into his presence, looking at the book of Leviticus. And we've looked at a bunch of things already. If you missed any of this, you can catch up. Just listen to the sermons. But we looked at the book of Leviticus deals with man's greatest problem. A man's greatest problem was how does sinful man come before a holy God? How does sinful man come before a holy God? Um, God uh, is holy, which means he is set apart, he is other. That term holy and words related to it appear in the book of Leviticus over 80 times Um, so it's a really big theme, but man, by contrast, is sinful, polluted, corrupted. We have rebelled against God, rebelled against his law, and as a result, how do we come before a holy God? How is there reconciliation? Because at the beginning of the Bible, you go back to Genesis, a couple of books before, we find man and woman living in the presence of God, everything's perfect, but they rebel, it all goes wrong. And the storyline in the Bible over these last few books we looked at was a journey back to God's presence, and we get to the book of Leviticus. And there's a couple of... Verses we looked at Leviticus 1 1, right, at the beginning of Leviticus, and in the next book, the book of Numbers, Numbers 1 1, we see a contrast because at the beginning of uh, the book of Leviticus, we see that uh, the Lord spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting, while in the book of Numbers, he now speaks to Moses in the tent of meeting. So there is a progression there. Moses has moved into his presence into his presence and so that's what we're going to look at we put out a few resources there's some videos you can watch we ask you to encourage you to re- listen along to the book of leviticus because um, we're going to take it in quite uh, big chunks what we're going to look at today if you just put the structure up brani we're on the second part there we've looked at the sacrifices first verse seven verses first verse seven chapters not first verse seven verses last week this week we're looking at chapters eight nine and ten so if you've got your bible open we can we'll, we'll go through them so you can kind of follow along uh, that's the plan today. So we're going to look at the institution of the priesthood. And so we want to look at the chapters in Leviticus, see what they meant for Israel, how they point to Jesus, and then what they mean for us uh, here and now, and draw some application through that. So the institution of the priesthood. We looked at the sacrifices last week, chapters 1 to 7, the five different offerings that the people of God were to bring before the Lord, and they all took place at the tabernacle. And we had the picture of the tabernacle here, which is the artist's impression which was the tent of meeting that was in the middle of the camp of Israel. The Israel all camped around the outside, but in the middle there was the, um, the tent that's detailed in the end of the book of Exodus that they built and all the bits that go with it. And that's where the sacrifices took place. And that's where the priests did their work. They did their ministry. And um, as we look at this in, the first, in these uh, chapters of Leviticus, you'll find the word commanded, the Lord commanded Moses or Aaron, um, over 20 times and so there's very much this is what God is putting in place this isn't the idea of man this was on a committee sat around what should we do God pointed this God wanted this when he wanted his sacrifices brought he wanted a priesthood to minister those sacrifices before him and the priest uh, came from Aaron Aaron was the brother of Moses if you read the books of Exodus he turns up in there quite a lot and he was to be the first high priest of God's people and his sons. He had four sons and they were called Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar and they were to be the priests to help him in ministering at the tabernacle of these sacrifices. And they had particular garments that are detailed in Exodus; they had to wear and things for preparation. And all of that was built up for what we're going to read now in Leviticus where they are being instituted and the priesthood is going to begin in the camp of Israel, in the people of Israel. So we're going to look at three sections. We're going to look at submitting to God's authority, revealing God's glory, and then accepting God's discipline. So number one, submitting to God's glory, chapter eight. Let me just run through what's happening there. So the assembly is called. The people of God are camped around outside the tabernacle, and they are called to come and observe what is happening. So is the public event. The priesthood isn't something hidden away. It's something that's done in public. Commentators say that maybe not the entire people of Israel came, because it's about a million of them. But maybe the leaders and the heads of clans. But there was still a lot of people there viewing what was happened. And Aaron and his sons were washed, it says. And that probably took place in the laver, which was one of the items at the tabernacle. You had the the altar and then you had the washing basin behind that before you got into the tent. And they were washed uh, to signify that they were clean. Um, before God, it says, then they were clothed, and Aaron was clothed as the high priest, and he had some special garments, which are detailed in Exodus, that he had to wear, so he was signified by his office in the garments he wore, and if you want to just put the picture up for me, oh, it's there, there you go, this is an artist's kind of rendition, you can find many of these, uh, my favourite rendition is, you'll find in Raiders of the Lost Ark, who's seen that? Right at the end, Belloc wears the high priest's garment, it doesn't go well for him, little hint of what's coming in the next few chapters. But there it is. That's the high priest's garment. And it said he had a white robe underneath, which was tied with a sash. Then over that was a blue robe that had golden, belts, uh, golden bells sorry, at the bottom and pomegranates on the hem. Then he had an ephod, which was a sleeveless coat that went over the top that was bound with a belt. And it was embroidered with uh, scarlet purple, blue and gold thread. Then over the ephod went the breastplate he's wearing there on his chest, and that had 12 precious stones on it, each one representing one of the tribes of Israel. So when he went into the presence of God, he took Israel on his heart before God into his presence. He had uh, the Urim and the Thumin, which were placed inside um, the breastplate, which were used to discern the will of God. Lots of people get very uh, caught up on these. We don't actually know really what they are, what they did, but we know that they're there. Um, And then on his head, he had the the turban, and on the front it said, Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord on that. So he knew he was set apart for God's purpose. So that was the high priest. The priests themselves, his four sons, had a white robe uh, with a white hat and a sash around the waist. So their items were not as ornate as the high priest. And so that's what Aaron uh, was to wear. Moses was to dress him as part of the ordination ceremony. And then Aaron... Uh, And the tabernacle were anointed with a special oil that had been made back in Exodus, and it says they were consecrated. That word comes up quite a few times, sort of verses ten to twelve. With consecrate just means to set apart. So it's a reminder that the the priests were set apart for God's purposes. Uh, Then Aaron and his sons were clothed, and then they were offer sacrifices were to be offered. Very specific sacrifice. They had to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the priests. That was the first one. So the priests would come before God. They had to have their sin dealt with. We looked at the sin offering last week. And so the priests had to have their sin dealt with. So there was a sin offering for a priest. Then they had a burnt offering, which was a, we saw last time was a dedication offering being set apart for God. So the, the priests were then set apart. So there was a dedication offering. Then they had to do an offering for the people's sin. So the priests priest were sinful, they had to offer theirs, they had to offer them one for the, the people because they too were sinful and a uh, aroma arose to the Lord, it says in verse 28, that was pleasing to God that this was all done right and well. And then we have an unusual bit where it says that the blood of the sacrifice and the special oil was used was placed on the right ear, the right thumb and the right big toe of the priest which symbolized that they were set apart to hear God's voice, do God's work and walk in God's way. And so that's what the priests were set apart to. That was their role. That was what they were to do before the people of God. Then the priests were anointed. So this oil was placed on them. They were anointed, uh, God's oil. And we know that the oil points to the, the endowing of the Holy Spirit, for service. So that's what they were there. They were anointed, set apart uh, for God's service. And then at the end of it, the um, the ordination, the ram that was burnt was eaten as part of a fellowship offering, which we looked at last time, which uh, signified fellowship and relationship with God. And so we have the priests appointed. Everything's been done in order as God commanded. Even that last verse of the chapter, verse 36, it says, Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded By Moses. So God's priests had been set apart by God for God's purposes according to God's word and they were ready now to serve the people of God um, in God's ways. And so that was following um, God's authority. Next one, revealing God's glory, revealing God's glory. Now up until this point, um, the Moses has been the one doing the sacrifices. Now you've got priests. It's their job to take over the role and the responsibility of doing uh, the sacrifices. And so they sacrifice on the altar. They do the, the, burnt, uh, the sin offering for themselves. And then they would do a burnt offering, which they would do in the morning and the evening, which would uh, signify at the beginning and the end of the day, they were set apart and dedicated to the Lord. It wasn't something they did on a Sunday morning. were set apart to God for a few hours on a Sunday. No. All day, every day, they were to serve the Lord. They were to bring um, offerings to the Lord and be set apart for him. And Moses tells them, he says, when you've done everything, the glory of God will appear. The glory of God will appear on a tabernacle. Now, the glory of God has appeared on Mount Sinai. When they came to the Mount of the Lord in Exodus, when the people who came out of Egypt and everything, and they've seen the glory of God on the mountain, which is brilliant. When they built the tabernacle, the glory of God appeared them. And now they're dedicating the priesthood a third time. The glory of God will appear in their midst. And the glory of God, the presence of God is what marks the people of Israel out from every other nation around them. There were many nations around them. They'd left Egypt. They were heading to the Promised Land. They'd come across other nations sort of in their journeys, but they were all pagan nations who worshipped false gods. Israel worshipped the one true God, and his presence dwelt in their midst. And as they followed God's commands in appointing the priesthood, they um, the glory of God appears to them in the dedication. And what happens is the offerings that they have, Uh, given to the Lord are consumed by God's glory which is a way of um, showing that God was pleased with them because the fire of God came out and it consumed the offering it must have been a kind of a wow moment and there's a sign that God is pleased with what we've done and we find that in response to God's presence comes his blessing because where God's presence is his goodness and his mercy and his blessing come and it says Aaron as the new high priest blessed the people he blessed the people. It's likely he spoke the priestly blessing we find in number six, which you might be familiar with. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. That was the blessing that he would have spoken over the people, which would have been a wonderful place to receive. I'll take that if anyone wants to pray that and bless me with that, that God's face would shine upon me. And so they would do that. Then Aaron and Moses would go into the tent. They would come out and it says they spoke another blessing over God's people. And so they were the receiving of God's blessing because God's presence was in there. And how did the people of God respond? It says at the end of the chapter, it said they cried out in worship. They cried out in praise. They honored God because his presence was amongst them. They gave glory to him. Uh, But it also says in fear and awe, they fell on their faces. So we have two dynamics of worship. When the presence of God comes, we go, yay, God's amazing, you're incredible. But at the same time, you're utterly terrifying and holy. And if they fell on their face. And so the glory of God comes and is in the midst of the people. And it's wonderful. And everything's good. They've got priests now to minister. The sacrifices, everything's been installed according to God's word. They've done uh, the sin offerings. They've done the burnt offerings. They've got the fellowship offerings. Everything's going really well. They've been into the tabernacle, Moses, and they've come out. The people have received God's blessing. Can you tell where this is going? Because this is the people of God. Let's get to chapter 10. Who's read this or listened to it in advance? You kind of know what's going to happen now. Yeah, You know that bit at the end of Raise the Lost Ark? It's going to happen. Okay, number three, accepting God's discipline. Okay, a time of glorious worship, a time of wonderful praise in the presence of God now becomes a funeral. Becomes a funeral and it serves as a reminder of the consequences of human pride and sin before God. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read a couple of verses at the beginning. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So we have Nadab and Abihu two of Aaron's sons, two eldest sons. They're named first uh, in the order. They are newly appointed priests, along with their brothers and their father as the high priest. And they are killed before the Lord in a shocking and tragic event, which would have happened on the day of all So This is all happening in one day. That's going on here, and um, it says their sin was they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, what that actually means, the Bible doesn't say uh, explicitly, but there are we can kind of think about it, extrapolate possibilities. It could be that they entered too far into the tabernacle. There were restrictions on where the priests could go and when they could go there. We'll look at that when we get to chapter sixteen on the Day of Atonement. But maybe they went too far the Lord. they presumed to enter God's presence. Maybe they used um, coals that weren't from the tabernacle area that was in those sensors that they carried that had hot coals in They might have used other coals so they weren't following what the Lord had commanded, which he said in in verse 1 there. Maybe they offered incense that wasn't the proper incense that they would have made back in Exodus. It details how that incense would have been made, and they hadn't done that. Uh, There is a possibility that they could have been drunk. The reason we say that is if you look in verse 8, when the Lord speaks to Aaron... He, makes them, he says, you're not going to drink. That's not what you as the high priest would be able to do. And there's maybe an implication, why is he saying that? Maybe his sons had had something to drink and therefore that affected their duties. It could have been all of the above. But what we do know for sure was that Nadab and Abihu were acting in flagrant disobedience to the Lord. And this is in contrast to all the times in these chapters before, particularly chapter 8. I think it's about 11 times in one chapter. The Lord commanded, the Lord commanded, and they did what he had commanded, and they were not doing that. They were deliberately disobeying the Lord. They had come before a holy God with presumption and not humility. They had not b- obeyed the word of God, and as a result, they had faced God's judgment. And it serves as a stark reminder that the holiness of God is real. It is his nature to be holy. We can be kind of like, oh, why why did he do that? But actually, God is by nature holy. He repeatedly tells us he's holy. And so if you're going to come into his presence, you can't just come blithely. You have to have your sin dealt with. It's like sticking your hand in a fire and being cross at the fire that it burns you. That's its nature. That's what it is. It's not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. You stick your hand in the fire, you get burnt. Oh, it's the fire's fault. No, (laughs) don't put your hand in there. Fire's hot. God's holy, you don't come before his presence in presumption, because your sin will have consequences, because he must judge sin, because he is holy, righteous, and good. And this story, unfortunately, isn't uncommon in God's word. If we go forward to 2 Samuel, you find the story of when the ark was being brought into Jerusalem by David, and the man Uzzah put his hand on the ark of the covenant that dwelt in the holy of holies in the tabernacle, and was instantly struck down because he'd put his hand on something holy and he wasn't. And you think, man, that's Old Testament. We don't do that in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles about the money and they were instantly struck dead in the church. That would have been a great Sunday meeting. What happened today? Well, two of the congregation died because they lied. New Testament. The point is, God is holy and we must come before him and treat him with reverence and awe that he deserves, and sin must be dealt with in his presence. And so this happens, Nadab, Abihu, they die before the Lord, and there is the aftermath. What happens? This Aaron obviously stunned silence that two of his sons are killed. Their bodies are removed. Um, uh, the priests can't do that. We'll see that next time uh, when Matt deals with that because they couldn't touch dead bodies because that would have made them richly unclean. So others had to come and take um, the bodies of um, the, the two boys away. And so what they were doing, and then Aaron and his sons then had to continue with the ceremony they were doing, this continue with the ordination process, because God had commanded them. There would be time to mourn afterwards, but you're in the middle of a process that the Lord had commanded. They had to stay in the, the sanctuary, the tabernacle area for seven days as part of their being set apart for service, so they had, didn't have time to go around and mourn their loss. And for the first time only, we find Aaron uh, sorry, the Lord speaks to Aaron directly. He usually speaks through Moses, but he speaks to Aaron directly. And he reminds him of his responsibilities as the high priest for the entire nation of Israel. What great responsibility he has had before God. And he says that you are not to drink in the tents of meeting. You are to be totally dedicated towards the Lord. And their role is to make judgment about the people. And we'll see that next time when Matt looks at the next section. About they're meant to judge between clean and unclean, common and holy. And that is impaired if you're drinking we all know that. You start drinking, your judgment is impaired. And he's saying, actually, no, you are the high priest. You have to be completely set apart. You shouldn't be someone who's drinking, which is why we sometimes think, we're well, the sons doing it. But that is the role of the Lord. And then we get the funny instance right at the end of the chapter there where Moses is cross with Aaron because they didn't eat uh, the offering that they should have and it got consumed and there's a bit of a tension between those two godly men what should they have done and and Aaron replies and his loss is saying actually because of what my sons offered and their sin we couldn't couldn't eat the offering and Moses is happy with his reasoning in that and saying actually yes you honoured God in that and that is fine and so there we have the three sections so in summary we have the priesthood has been appointed uh, to serve at the tabernacle. They are to administer the sacrifices that we find in chapters 1 to 7. They are to minister on behalf of the people. They have a great privilege to stand before the Lord regularly, day after day, to worship him, to give glory to him. But with those, that privilege comes great responsibility they are to live out their holy calling. They are to follow God's word in fulfilling the sacrifices. It requires strict obedience to God's law and total dedication to who he is. They are to represent God to man and then man to God. And so they have this set apart holy calling and it is not something to be taken lightly. And failure to obey, failure to live out this calling has serious consequences on them. And so that's what we find in chapters 8, 9, and 10. If you haven't read them, please have a little read, delve into them a little bit more. Um, But all of this, of course, points forwards to Jesus. All of this points forwards to Jesus. If you've been following along, hopefully you'll have made some of the jumps already in your mind because in Jesus we find someone totally submitted to the will of God the Father. Totally submitted to the will of God the Father. Unlike the priests, His submission was perfect, complete, total, all day, every day. Aaron and his sons failed daily. They had to offer sacrifices for their sins. Sometimes they failed spectacularly. Aaron, in his fallenness and his weakness in Exodus 32, do you remember the incident? He had the golden calf and they created gods to worship. He failed spectacularly. Jesus never did. Jesus was never affected by sin. He was perfect in his obedience in every way. It was one of the problems when it came to his trial at the end of his life. Nothing could stick to him because he hadn't done anything wrong. Even Pilate recognized that. He said, this guy's got nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. So Jesus was totally submitted to the will of his father. He displayed God's glory and he accepted God's discipline. Think about the life of Jesus displaying the glory of God. He brought in the kingdom of God through teaching and miracles and deliverance. At his baptism, the glory of God was there as the Holy Spirit fell on him and God spoke over him. This is my son whom I love. There was a Mount of Transfiguration where he appeared with who? One of the Moses and Elijah, and the glory of God was there around him. And so he displayed God's glory, how he loved and cared for the outcasts. And he showed love to those around, those who were on the edge of society. And then ultimately, it is displayed in the cross his death and resurrection, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, as he dies for the sins of the world for our sake and then rises to death victorious, glorious. And at the same time, he's expecting God's discipline. It says Jesus grew in wisdom, he learned and grew, he accepted that, he accepted rejection. He accepted ultimately the wrath of God on the cross in our place for our sin. He he took what we deserved and so he died once for all in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. What wonderful news. So Jesus displayed God's glory, accepted God's discipline and the good news is that Jesus is a better Aaron. (laughs) Jesus is a better Aaron. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, we preached through it many years ago we find how explicitly the writer there points out that Jesus is a better high priest. He's the great, once-for-all, perfect high priest. Aaron was mortal, doomed to die. He needed to be replaced, and then that person needed to replaced, and then that person needed to replaced. Jesus is eternal. He will never die. He will always be our high priest. He was perfect. He never sinned, never had to offer sacrifice in sin. In fact, he was the sacrifice for sin, once for all time so that we never have to bring sacrifice again because he's done it. He is both God and man, therefore he can perfectly bring God to man and man to God. He doesn't need any help with that. He knows what that's like. He's walked through it. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our failings because he's lived amongst us and he can perfectly represent us. He is our high priest. Wonderful, wonderful news that we can do that. Have you been reading through Leviticus and just kept saying, thank you for Jesus? Thank you for Jesus? (laughs) thank you for Jesus because we are we got a whatsapp group in our life group and I think something someone put something on there and then the comment was I'm just so glad for Jesus when you read some of the things in here he is our high priest he is our perfect sacrifice we've seen from last time so what does this all mean for us what does this all mean for us here and now what can we learn from this well the first thing if you're not a believer here if you're not a believer and you don't know Jesus, we love that you're here. I love that you're part of this, worshiping us. But we want you to come to know Jesus for yourself. We want you to come and put your faith and trust in him. We want you to repent of your sin. That just means turn away. Because before God, you stand guilty. You've done so many things that offend him, just like all of us have. But if you turn to him, he dies in your place for your sin, and you can come into relationship with the Holy God. Know him as your father. Know him as your Lord and Savior. So we'd love you to do that. If you're not sure about that, try our Alpha course, which you're running, an opportunity uh, that Rob and Hannah are running to come and talk about faith. Talk to them. They both became Christians on Alpha courses. What a wonderful opportunity for that. Try reading Mark. We're reading through the book of Mark together. A little bit easier than Leviticus to get into. Read the book of Mark. Um, Join with us as we're doing that as we're going through Christmas to the cross. What about if you're a believer here? What about if you're a believer here? Well, the first thing to tell you is that you're now part of that priesthood. Did you know that? You are now one of those priests. The priests that we've been reading about in Leviticus, you are because the Apostle Peter says, as believers, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That select few, the family line of Aaron, they were the only ones who could be priests. In the whole of Israel, they were this select flu. And when, as they had children, they had sons, they became priests, and on and on it went. Now, all of us who have faith and trust in Jesus, we are now priests. Those of you who call on the name of the Lord have been called into that, not based on your goodness or your smarts or anything else, but only in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we get to come and stand as priests before a holy God, which is fantastic news. It's fantastic news. But what that kind of lives out of that is it means that we are to live lives totally submitted to the Lord. We are set apart like the priests. We've been consecrated, made holy. And so we are to live lives fully submitted to God's word. We are to be men and women who read our Bibles. It's a wonderful advert we had up here for the God's Big Story. Read your Bible, read your Bible. We didn't plan that but it's still good. Read your Bible. We are to be men and women who read our Bibles regularly. Read Christmas to the Cross that we're doing. Uh, The next one Matt's doing in Leviticus is chapters 11 to 15. Have a listen to that. Catch up with that. And we are to be men and women who read God's Word, who understand God's Word. But we're also then to submit to God's Word. Reading it isn't just something you knock off your to-do list and then get on with the rest of your day. It's something that affects our hearts. We are to be men and women submitted to the Word of God in all areas of our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our friendships, with our finances and in our possessions. These are things that we are to do and bring under God's Judgment, God's word. What do you want me doing with it? How should I live this according to your word? God is not something that is compartmentalized to certain parts of our lives. He's the one who rules and reigns over all of it. The priests stayed at the sanctuary for seven days when they were instituted, when they were ordained, then they became right. That shows total dedication to the Lord for their entire life. That's what we are to live like. And particularly, this is for all of us believers, but if you are in any form of leadership, this is extra. Like there is, more, um, uh, there is more responsibility for you. You are held to a higher standard. Anyone notice stuff going on in the news about this? How many people broke the lockdown rules? Loads. Thousands. Suddenly the PM does it and it's like, whoa. Why? Is any worse? No, but he's the prime minister. And therefore he should be held to a higher standard. So if you're in any form of leadership in the church... Elders, life group leaders, leadership team, kids leaders, youth leaders, you are to follow this more strictly because of the responsibility you hold. If you have work, um, responsibility in workplaces, many of you do that. You manage, you lead people. There is an expectation that you are to live lives that are more straight and narrow than others. And we as people of God are to do that. We are to embrace that. And through that we become more like Jesus. And God corrects us and he disciplines us. And he speaks to us through his word, through our conscience, through others correcting us and saying, wait a minute, should you be doing that? Is that the best way? And we repent, we put our, uh, put our sins on Jesus, we call out to him for forgiveness and then we carry on. And so we are to live lives totally submitted to the Lord. We are to display God's glory. It no longer appears in a tent, in the middle of a camp, in a desert, in the Middle East. Where is God's glory displayed now? through his people, the church. So you and I are to display God's glory in all that we say and do. We are to be a, a, a kind of a billboard for the wonder and greatness of God. We are to love and serve those around us. We are to endure suffering and hardship well, knowing that through this God is transforming and conforming our character to his image. What do we look at right at the beginning of the year? Count it all joy... When you face trials and sufferings of all kinds, because God is working with us, and through that we display his glory. As we forgive others and work through things and problems where people have offended and hurt us, we show God's glory. When we feed the sick, when we um sorry, when we feed the poor, when we pray for the sick, we display God's glory. When we proclaim the good news, live out lives of righteousness and holiness, we proclaim God's glory, and we show that He is our ultimate treasure. The things of this world are not going to last. They cannot satisfy. Only Christ can. And as a result of that, when we live like that and we show a life like that, we display God's glory to those around us. The last thing, where are the priests found? Well, they're to be found in his presence. They're to be found in his presence. In the camp, if you are wandering around, where are the priests They're in the presence of God at the tabernacle. They would not have been anywhere else. You wouldn't have to go wandering to find them. I've got to draw something off with Eleazar. I need to hand something back to him. He'll be at the sanctuary, at the tabernacle, in the presence of God. And we are to be those people who live lives in the presence of God. We ask daily to be filled with God's Spirit. We live lives, whatever we do, wherever we go, taking God's Spirit with us. We we praise and worship whenever we can and wherever we can. We cry on him, to him for prayer and for mercy and, and to help us in whatever situation. We come together and gather with God's people week in, week out because that's where we should be. God's people in his presence together, worshipping. I don't know about you, but... The first 15 minutes of this meeting were outstanding, (laughs) coming into God's presence and just worshipping, worshipping with you, singing out, calling out his praises. And we're to do that. We come through Jesus, not through our own merit, not because we're good, but because he is great and he is good and he has called us. And so that's what we are. We are the people of God. We are the priesthood of God. And we are to live lives totally submitted to the Lord. We are to display God's glory and we are to be found in his presence, just like those priests in Leviticus. Amen. Amen. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going, to, we're going to do what I just said. We're going to worship the Lord. Amen. All right. Maybe you just want to close your eyes, lift up your hands, spend a little moment talking to the Lord, worshiping Him in your heart, praising Him. For some of you, just even with what we've been talking about, there'll be things that have risen up in you, because God's good like that. In his spirit, he will have poked things, he will have pushed things, he will have convicted of things, things I know nothing about, but you do. And I just pray now, as we, as we move into a time of focusing on Jesus, particularly with our singing and hearing from him, just get those dealt with. If you know there are things you need to put right with God, do that, do that now. If you know there are things that are not submitted to the Lord, that you know you're out of sync on, do it now, submit them to him. Confess your sin, repent, turn away, and say, God, we're we gonna, I'm going to change, I'm going to put that right. If you know there are areas of your life that are kind of out of sync, where you're not, you know you're not displaying God's glory because you're acting in a way contrary to his word, do it now. Do it now. We have nothing to fear because Jesus has died and he's made us holy. God is still holy, he's still awesome, and is still reverent, but actually we can come boldly into his presence because of what Jesus has done which is wonderful news. But just get that stuff dealt with. Get it dealt with now if you know what it is. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our great high priest. Thank you that you minister forever before the throne of God. Lord, we thank you because of your once-for-all sacrifice, we can come before you holy and righteous, not on our own merit, but on yours. Thank you that your blood covers it all. There's no more sacrifices because you were the sacrifice, and that you usher us into your Father's presence. Thank you that we are part of this great priesthood, that we can minister to you whenever and wherever we are, Lord God. We pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit now and that we would... Display your glory in the world around. Wherever we go tomorrow, work, friends, kids, home, whatever, that we would display your glory. We would show your love and grace and mercy to those around us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. God's people said.